Yo. Welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. Autumn is a best-selling author, popular speaker, and wife who is obsessed with her husband and four crazy kids. She is also the CEO of the Autumn Miles Ministry, as well as a lipstick and lash enthusiast. Autumn's vision is to speak to the culture with bold truth and challenge you to act in raw faith. Here's Autumn Miles. Hey, this is Autumn with the Autumn Miles Show. How are you guys doing out there today? I have author and former mega church pastor, and I know he's got an awesome podcast as well. John Mark Comer on the show today. How are you, John Mark? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. I wish I had a Starbucks holiday cup in my hand. But so here's here's the first and most important question of the day. Did I see the other day that, that this year's holiday cup is not red? Did I see that correctly? Or you did enlighten me. It's white and it says Mary Coffee on it. Mary Coffee. Oh my god. You're totally right. What's the world coming to do when Starbucks doesn't have a, a red cup? <laughs> see, I live in Portland, which is like post-hipster capital of the world, oh, yeah. third wave coffee. So, you know, Starbucks isn't, isn't the thing here. It's all these, like, <laughs> super indie, high-end coffee is the new wine kind of spots, which is all great. I'm totally into it, except they don't do holiday cups. Why? This city would be so wet. This is where Texas is just destroying Portland. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just not cool enough. I don't know. It's too happy. Doesn't fit the depressed motif enough. I don't know. Okay, but we this... need we need more holiday cups in the world, and they should be red or at least green, not white. Yes, come on. What is up with this coffee? I don't get it. My assistant, she's twenty one, and she's like, "Is this original?" I see. I can't even talk the language. I'm so single origin. Single, single origin. That's yes, <laughs> not original. Single origin. I am so, I apologize to all the young people listening <laughs> to me. Uh, yeah, single origin. I actually asked my brother the other day. I was in London, and I'm okay. like, hey, you want some coffee from London? He's like, well, make sure it's single origin, this, that. And I'm like, what? You want coffee for London or not? Like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, y'all are way cooler than we are up there. I don't know. Uh, but we do have Christmas cups, so there's that. So that's. That's you do have Christmas caps, and we don't. Well, other than my lack of Christmas caps, I'm happy to be along. Are you a coffee drinker, John Mark? Yes, avid. Mm-hmm. avid. Oh, single origin variety only. <laughs> Sorry to be that snob, but what can I say? <laughs> you know what? At least you're honest. I really appreciate that. Hey, you, you, you Texans, you own your culture well. You brag about it. You boast about it. You're happy in it. You know, we, we don't have much to brag about, but we have really good coffee up here. You, you know what? I've never been to Portland. I feel like as if I should go and try some of this single origin coffee. I think oh, I would enjoy there you it. Go. And enjoy the culture up there. Okay, so John Mark, you wrote a book. Um, yeah. I'm obsessed with this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, and I got to tell you, the title alone was convicting to me. <laughs> I kind of wanted to repent immediately as soon as I yeah. read this title. Um, because our culture is annoyingly hurried. Are they not? Yeah. I mean, are we not living yeah. in a culture that is, it's almost like if you're not in a rush or if you're not busy, you're not important. Like our culture somehow is preaching this. Oh, I, I can't meet. I can't meet that day. I can't meet that day. I can't meet that day. I can't meet that day because I have other things going on. And and that is somehow interpreting to us that we're important. So I'm obsessed with this book. Tell me about the book and why, why'd you write it? 
Yeah, I mean, the book's based around a line from Dallas Willard, who's a philosopher and teacher that I love, who once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, (laughs) and said, quote, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So the title is, you know, a quote slash nod to his line, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And when I first heard that, I was so struck by him, in particular a philosopher who's living right in the middle of all things secularism and different ideas, yet he called hurry the great threat, challenge, enemy, obstacle to spiritual life in our, in our day and age. Mm-hmm. And the longer I've sat with his thesis, the more I've come to the conviction that he was spot on, mm-hmm. in particular as a follower of Jesus, you know, the, the, the telos or the end goal of the spiritual journey of following Jesus is to grow and mature into people of love. And if you think about it, at, at the, my, the most basic case of my book is that hurry is incompatible with love. It's also incompatible with all of the other core qualities of the kinds of people we become in, with Jesus and his kingdom, joyful, at peace, patient, kind, all of that. If you think of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit in yeah. Galatians. But it's just incompatible with love. All of my worst moments as a husband, father, pastor, human being, friend, neighbor— are all when I'm in a hurry, when I'm over busy, when I'm exhausted, when I'm not present to the moment, when I'm distracted by my phone, when I've said yes to too many things, when I'm running late, when I'm in a hurry. All of my worst moments when I'm the least loving, compassionate, attentive, wise, present, happy, at peace, mm. calm, differentiated, whatever language you want to use, are all when I'm in a hurry. This book is basically a manifesto for a different way to live. I'm, a, as you said, former megachurch pastor, used to live a life of speed, insane, workaholic, driven by ego, ambition, all sorts of things that were in me that were just crippling and sabotaging my relationships, my emotional health, my spiritual life. And so I just began to live very, very differently five, six, seven years ago. And this book has kind of just come out of that that story. Okay, so what happened? Five, six, seven years ago, you're living this super, like— 100-mile-an-hour life, what was the moment where you were like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I need to change something. Yeah, so we're the same age, 39. (laughs) So, you know, in my kind of my 30, like early 30s, I had about a decade of adult life under my belt. And after that long, there's a gift that happens right about somewhere around there in your life where you can actually see the kind of person that you're becoming. Mm. You know, when you're 20, you're like, who will I become? That's, you know, and you just have this feeling of plasticity and, like, potential and possibility. And what most 20-somethings don't realize is that feeling eventually goes away. <laughs> and it's, it's replaced by, oh, dang, this, this is who I became, you know. <laughs> and you feel less and less plastic. And it's why, it's why older people say you can't teach a new do- an old dog new tricks. 20-somethings yeah. never say that. You hear that from 50-somethings, right. you know. And, and so I think I had enough of a track record under my belt to kind of, you know, do that thought experiment that's a little bit terrifying but so good to do where you just chart your character arc out 20, 30, 40, 50 years and you envision yourself at 50, 60, 80, whatever, and you just ask yourself the question, who am I becoming? And then you hold that up to, you know, whatever your metric system for success is. Is it the American metric? Is it the materialism metric? Is it the fame metric? It's just uh, Jesus of Nazareth metric. And when I held it up to the American metrics, all those things were doing fine. But when I held it up to the vision of God and Jesus and becoming a person who's more loving and joyful and at peace and living in the kingdom, um, I, it was terrifying. I was not becoming more loving or joyful or peaceful. In fact, actually, not only had I stalled out in my 
spiritual formation, but I had actually began to regress just due to the compound interest of exhaustion and emotional overload and stress and busyness and all of that. And I began to see it, you know, just hurting my marriage, hurting my relationships with my children, and really just um, cauterizing any sense of spiritual life or just awareness of God and ability to receive and then give His love. So it was just a real, like, I, I guess I describe it as an early midlife crisis, where <laughs> I just, like, a combination of emotional burnout with spiritual crisis. And not spiritual crisis in the sense of, sense of like, crisis of faith, but spiritual crisis in the sense of, oh, wow, I'm not, I'm not becoming more like Jesus year over year. And that's a major problem, in particular when you're a pastor and your job <laughs> is to help people become more like Jesus. That's a little bit of, we, a little bit of a problem. And that's when I came across that line from Dallas Willard, Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate it. And it was that it was that feeling, you know, for for those listening who have ever had dealt with chronic illness or an undiagnosed mm. illness, yeah. where you have all of these symptoms. My wife has chronic illness, and so I just I know that frustration from the inside. It's a very emotional experience. We have all of these symptoms, all of these things that don't work well, and there's pain and that hurt you, but you don't know what's causing it. You don't know what the the root problem is. And it's terrible. You feel powerless. You feel aimless. You feel it's impossible to plan. And there's that gift that comes when a doctor gives you a diagnosis, when she or he puts language and says, this is the root issue underneath the other issues. And Mm -hmm. even if it's a bad diagnosis, what most people feel is joy and relief and gratitude, Mm -hmm. because now you can actually chart a way forward and begin a healing journey. And I think that naming hurry as kind of the root issue underneath so many of the other emotional and spiritual and relational issues in my life, that that turned a corner for me. Uh, this kind of reminds me, I read a book a couple of years ago, cute little book called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Have you read Ooh, that great book? Great title. I, I've not heard of it. I use that language a lot um, oh. in my own book, but I've not I've not heard of the book. It bar- basically all the urgent things that scream at you are not important, but the very important mm-hmm. things are quiet. <laughs> I read it. Yeah. In, I read it in one sitting, and it li- I was I just was so incredibly convicted because how many of us, John Mark, are giving so much time to ultimate? Like you said, your spiritual life was regressing. It was not progressing. And here, 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 you're giving all your time to, you know, feeding people in ministry. It's almost like ministry becomes a God. And, but, but your own spiritual connection um, takes a step back. Why do we do that, John Mark? That's so stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I everybody think does why, it though. <laughs> first off, it's great that you're asking the why question. Not enough people ask that. Underneath the busyness, you know, um, John Orberg once said, busyness isn't just a sign of a disordered schedule, it's a Mm. sign of a disordered heart. Mm. And normally, we want to just think that busyness is a function of just, I have four kids, and I have a demanding job, and it's the modern world. And that, for sure, is like a huge, you know, chunk of bandwidth that is the cause of our busyness. But for most of us, Below that, there are much deeper causes. It could be anything from a low sense of identity and self-worth, and so to be busy is to be important, or to work more hours or to be more in demand is to somehow earn our worth, you know. Or it could be that we're running from pain and there's something we don't want to face, or it could be that a disappointment of our marriage or parenting or life or body, and so we just don't want to think about it, so we just medicate with whatever form of busyness we're gravitate, gravitate toward, be that 
kids' sports or a demanding career or church or reading or entertainment or athletics or fitness or whatever our chosen form of busyness is. And so I think getting at what the root causes of busyness are, which are likely more than just the demands of life, although that's a legitimate thing, that's a key part of just spiritual health, psychological health in general, you know, and learning how to live not reactively. Um, I just finished teaching a few days ago at our church, and I, I made the point that, you know, the opposite of a contemplative life, and that's very Christian language, but a life where you slow down and you spend lots of time in spiritual disciplines and rest and prayer and meditation on God and His love, the opposite of a contemplative life isn't an active life, it's a reactive life. Mm. So the opposite okay. of an unhurried life where you really make a, you give a lot of time and unhurried, restful energy and attention to prayer and life with God isn't a life where you're just a monk and you don't do anything and you don't accomplish anything. It can be very active, parenting and working and doing good things in the world, doing justice, whatever it, your life is. The opposite is an activity. It's reactivity, meaning where you just live in the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. You get sucked in. Your whole life is reactive. Let me answer this text message, respond to this email on somebody else's timeline, do all these things. Sure, I'll be there. Yeah, I got it. Okay, what's on Netflix? It's just this reactive life where you get sucked into the hurry of our culture and you lose sight of what your center is and what you're made to do. And this is why time in the quiet, time of rest, time of contemplation or spiritual disciplines or prayer and quiet is just so key because it's how we actually do our activity from a place of clarity, compassion, wisdom, and power and um, rather than burnout and reactivity. So I want to talk about that. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I've got Pastor John Mark Comer. He has written a book, The Ruthless elimination of hurry. And I love that word ruthless because I'm a little bit of a gangster, even though I'm blonde over here. I'm a total gangster. (laughs) So I love those words that it's like, okay, wow, that, that, that word alone got my attention. So how do I ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life? I mean, I, I just feel like this is, this is a right now word because you cannot talk to anybody without them saying, I'm busy. How are you doing? Good. Yep. Busy. Good. It's like every- and everybody. <laughs> Everyone and their mom. gender, across ethnicity, <laughs> across class, across urban, suburban, rural, everybody I talk to is busy. How do we do it? How do we change it? Help us, John Mark. What do we do? Well, okay. So first off, you have to define what you mean by hurry or busyness. So there's a healthy kind of busyness. That just means you have a lot to do. And by that definition, that your life is generative, you're not wasting it playing video games, you know, six hours every night or whatever. <laughs> and by that definition, Jesus himself was very busy. And busyness is just a, it's just a fact of life, in particular if you have a job and kids and stuff like that, yeah. adult responsibilities. But then there's a far more common and toxic kind of busyness, what Ronald Wilheiser calls pathological busyness. And I just quoted a Texan right there. Come on. Yeah. Pathological busyness. Um, and that's where you have essentially too much to do and not enough time. That's what I mean by hurry. And when you have too much to do, the only way to attempt to cram it all in is to hurry, is to speed up your mind, your body, and your relationships and your interactions with other people to this insane 90-mile-per-hour pace and attempt to cram it all in. Normally, we still can't cram it all in, so we live with overwhelm, stress, anxiety, and even if not, with exhaustion and burnout fatigue. And, and this is the kind of hurry that is just wreaking havoc in our soul and our society. 
And the solution at its most basic, simple thing is less about efficiency, though that's great, less about, you know, finding more time, though that's great. And really, it's very simple. We just need to slow down and simplify our life. We need to embrace our limitations as a gift Mm. to be received as God's love to us, rather than as an arbitrary line that we want to transgress in our attempt to be omnipresent. And so it's really about learning to realize we all have limitations, emotional limitations, relational limitations, financial limitations, stage of life limitations, and all of us have temporal limitations. I was watching the Bill Gates documentary recently, and it was talking about how he's obsessed with time because as the richest man in the world, the one thing he can't buy is time. Hmm. He has no more time than you or I do, 24 hours in a day. (laughs) So whatever the solution is, it's not more time. It's to slow down, simplify, accept our limitations, and craft what I would call a rule of life. It's interesting that you say limitations are a gift. That That is not a school of thought that the culture mm-hmm. subscribes Nobody to. Nobody thinks that way. Everyone, yep. no one wants to hear that. <laughs> well, everybody's trying to sell you something, and you can't sell people something if you're telling them to do less and embrace their limitations. <laughs> They're all like, go for it. You know, you, you can yes. do it. Live your dreams. Live your whatever. But you're saying the reality is, is like, hello, you have 24 hours. You have, you know, you have things that you have to do. Like you, you have to be the parent. Yeah. You have to parent your kids and stuff yep. like that. So uh, limitations are a gift. I love that you said that, man. That's a truth problem right there. Okay. Yeah, um, and you, and you know, ahead. there's potential and limitations. So like in a biblical theology in Genesis, human beings are made in the image of God, meaning they're just ripe with potential. And they're also made from the dust. They're mortal. They die. We have limitations. We're not God. We're not omnipresent. We're in one body at one time. And so it's a both and. But so much in our culture is said about reaching your full potential, which I'm 100% for. I have no issue with that. I'm all for it. Yeah. Particular people that don't come from as much money or a middle-class life, they need to hear that message especially. But the problem is nothing at times is said about the like counterbalance to that which is accepting your limitations, and especially people that are middle class and up or have demanding jobs, or they really need to hear this counterbalance message of, sure, potential, yes, also limitations. Mm. My, one of my mentors, Pete Scazzaro, says, you find God's will for your life in your limitations. Mm. That is well said. Whoa, that is amazing. Um, talk to me about silence, because you talk about it in your book, Um Actually, one of the questions that that you guys sent us, one of the practices you recommend is silence. Um, Ain't no one silent anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me about why that is so, and I I love this. Why is it important? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, first off, it's important because we live in a, a culture of noise. And the noise, the distraction, the overload, the stimuli, you know, just bombardment, it is just drowning out our capacity to hear the voice of God and hear even the voice of our own soul. I mean, back to what I said a minute ago, you know, the opposite of a contemplative life is an action, it's reaction. And a contemplative life is one where you spend a lot of time resting in the quiet with God and His love. And there's just so many things that happen in silence and solitude. And when you're alone with God, with no stimuli, no music on, no TV playing, no car honking at you, not at a coffee shop, not in a public place, just in the quiet of your bedroom or out at a monastery or at a park on a quiet afternoon, 
there's so many things that happen in this deep place of quiet where you come awake to God, you come awake to your soul, all the things that we've been running away from and self-medicating to numb come to the surface, and we're able to deal with them in a healthy way in the safe place of God's love. We're able to release the illusion of control and just abandon outcomes to God and realize we don't have to have our life go a certain way to be happy. Mm. We're able to hear God's voice and get His direction and sense of, like, this is what I need to focus on next. We're able to, like, reform our hearts or let the Spirit of God reform our hearts with the people we're angry at and, like, slowly come to a place of compassion and empathy. These are things that Mm. can technically happen outside of silence but are, are really rare and hard to find outside of silence. I mean, all the great spiritual masters for thousands of years, men, women, Africans, Asians, Europeans, Americans, have all basically said... That silence, I mean, Henry Nouwen said, silence is indispensable to a spiritual life. Without mm. it, you, you basically can't have a spiritual life if you don't have regular times of quiet. And there's all sorts of grace for, you know, parents with little kids and people that live in cities and all yeah. of that. And you have to get creative. But Jesus, when he taught on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing he said about prayer wasn't what to pray for. It was when and how and where to pray. So yeah. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray <laughs> to your fathers in the secret. So the first thing Jesus said about prayer was you need to get somewhere quiet and alone. And we need to take Jesus' admonition seriously. This is life-changing. I have done um, those things. I have four kids and get up um, at five every morning. And um mm-hmm. It's, it's, someone asked me, I was, I was being interviewed a couple of weeks ago and they're like, how do you balance everything? I mean, how do yeah. you, how do you balance God into your schedule? I thought, I thought it was a joke. What? <laughs> what are you, what are you, yeah. what? No, you get up, you, I'm desperate. Listen, I'm not spiritual. I'm desperate. So, I mean, sitting at, well, with, just with four kids alone, getting up at five o'clock is necessary just for my mental health, n- much less right. my spiritual health. These things are easy to do. Um, uh, what would you say to that person that's like, oh, I feel overwhelmed. I know I need to do that. I hear you, John Mark. You are so right on. I don't think I can. Encourage that heart that's listening as we wrap up. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say three quick things. One is, you have to be exceedingly gracious on yourself based on your personality, in particular if you have little kids. Like, you know, the goal here is this has nothing to do with, you know, earning God's love or being a good person or a bad person per se. This is just about making space in your life for relationships. The same way that you make space for a marriage or a family or a best friend, it requires disciplines mm. to set aside uninterrupted time. So every Thursday night, I have a date night with my wife, right? Mm. Every, you know, so often my best friend and I get together. And when we're together, our phones are off. We're together. We're fully present to each other. And it's not some legalistic thing to earn love. It's because I love this person and he loves me or I love this person and my wife loves me back. And we want to have an intimate relationship. And that requires long time periods of uninterrupted attention and affection. And so the first thing I'd say is just go really easy on yourself and never forget the point isn't to do some legalistic rule. It's to make space in your life for a loving relationship with God. Two, I would say, um, you know, you, you have to just cut some things out of your life. That's the hard truth. Mm. Like you just, you, there's a renunciation to it. There's a discipline. There's a, okay, I'm not going to watch. Like one of the easiest things you could do is just stop watching TV and go to bed earlier. That'll yeah. change your whole life. Most people <laughs> won't do that. It'll, or, or, you know, put a limit on 
TV and make it, you know, an hour or two a week rather than the, the median average for America, which is four and a half hours a day. Oh, my. So, I mean, gosh, I mean, just think about the average American watches four and a half hours of TV a day and is on Facebook products two hours a day. <laughs> if all you did was get off Facebook and stop watching TV, just think of how much time you could get back. It's almost mm. a full-time job, yeah. you know? Mm. So, oh. there, so there is a renunciation and a discipline, and I don't know how to package that. There's no nice way to say that. There's some things you're just going to have to cut out of your life, whatever that may be. But then the final thing I would say would just be to remind people that Jesus is better than anything else out there. Yeah. He's better than Netflix. Amen. He's better than having your kids in 19 different sports all year <laughs> long. He's better than having the perfect body because you work out two hours a day. He's better than making some extra money through, you know, your hustle or whatever. Jesus is better. Mm-hmm. And life with him at his pace in his kingdom, Psalm 23, where you lie down by green pastures and quiet waters. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. there is, that's what you were made for, created for, and there is nothing better on offer in the world. Yeah. Wow. Uh, And let me tag on to a fourth thing. Go buy this book. Um, (laughs) It is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Staying Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in Our Current Chaos. John Mark Comer, thank you so much for being on the show today. This is awesome. Oh, it's such a kind. Thanks for having me on, Autumn. Keep up the great work and keep spreading the the Jesus message. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You can catch me tomorrow right back here at 3.30. The Autumn Miles Show is listener supported and your donation to keep her on the air is much appreciated. To make a donation, visit autumnmiles.com. And if you make a donation of $100 or more, you'll receive an autographed copy of her book of the month. This program is underwritten by Mary Maids of Fort Worth. Your future starts now. Thanks for listening. And join us next time for the Autumn Miles Show on the Word 100.7 FM.